Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 48. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to CarsYeah.com and get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to CarsYeah.com, click on the free book button on the homepage, and download your Filler Up book today. It's free at CarsYeah.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am so excited today to introduce my special guest in part two of an interview with Bert Levy. Bert, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Am I in the driver's seat or in the other one that I don't like as much? I'm guessing you're in the driver's seat. All right, then let's go. Awesome. Fire it up and rub it up and go. Okay. Bert B.S. Levy is an award-winning motorsports journalist, an infamous author, a lifelong British car nut, and notorious race cars ride mooch. He's the author of celebrated cult classic, the 1950s sports car novels, The Last Open Road, and its wonderful sequels, Montezuma's Ferrari, The Fabulous Trash Wagon, Tully's Ghost, The 200 Mile Per Hour Steamroller, and his utterly hilarious short story collection, A Potside Companion. He's piloted all sorts of vintage race cars by mooching rides at the tracks across the country from Laguna Seca to Watkins Glen. A true automotive entrepreneur, Bert is sure to fill our ears with his humor and iconic BS. So hide your car keys and listen up. Welcome back to part two of my interview with Bert Levy as we continue on his journey as an inspiring automotive enthusiast. Bert, I want to shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. You told us in part one at the end about some challenges and failures you face and how that pushed your career forward into some success. Could you share with us when you had one of those real aha moments with your writing career and publishing books, that time when you realized, you know what, this is really going to make it? Yeah, I I think there were two. Uh, The one is more important to me personally for in terms of what I got to drive, and that was realizing that I could write my way into cars that I could never dream of owning uh, and actually get to not only just test drive them, but many times to actually race them. I mean... Oh, hey, wait a minute. Instead of paying more than I will ever have to drive a car that isn't nearly as good as this, I can just hop in, drive this, and then write a story about it. Oh, this is pretty good. (laughs) That'll work. And the other one really came with the second book. Uh, The first book, The Last Open Road, you know, in the last segment, we'd sold out two printings. It got picked up by St. Martin's Press. And the editor there, who was not a car guy at all, but he liked the story, he, he loved the characters, and he, he was a big help. He said, you know, I've talked them into publishing this book, but they want you to edit it. And I was like, uh, did you ever see the movie Amadeus? Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, remember where the, the king says there's too many notes mm-hmm. in this particular piece, and Amadeus, uh, you know, Mozart is, oh, no, 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 it's perfect the way it is. Right. Well, they wanted me to edit it, and I was like, oh, no, it's perfect the way it is. But actually, 
it was the best thing that could have happened to me. Uh, you never want to go back and look at something you did four or five years ago as a writer because mm-hmm. you'll you'll you want to open a vein. Yeah. But getting a chance to correct that uh, and to tighten things up, do a couple things that you didn't see the first time around, turned out to be a really good experience. But uh, cut to the chase, St. Martin's Press published the third edition, or the third printing, second edition, and it was a better book, uh, although a little bit shorter. I mean, we threw I threw probably 40 pounds of adjectives and adverbs over the side, <laughs> uh, and still have a lot, so that should give you an idea about my writing. Yeah. Um, they didn't do much with the book, and by contract, I had to send them the manuscript for the second book. You, you have to send them, quote, your next work, unquote, and they get the first, you know, right of first refusal. Mm-hmm. And they had uh, 60 days to make an offer, 90 to make a deal, and I'd send them a cover letter. I said, look, I, I'm not looking for bigger advance, but I want to see a, uh, a marketing plan and a promotional budget, because if you're just going to sell these to the market I've created at the racetrack and car museums and places like that, I really don't need you. Mm-hmm. Your job, as I see it, is to find a mainstream market for these books, you know, in the bookstores and at Amazon and wherever. And we wound up $50,000 apart. So when their option went out, uh, ran out, I went back to my wife and I said, you know, I've got an idea. We're going to go back to doing this ourselves, but why don't we fund it the same way racing is funded with sponsorship and advertising. It was one of those ideas that you have in the middle of the night and it sounds great and then you wake up the next morning and you say, you know, that can't possibly work. It's too simple. Mm-hmm. But I started making some calls. I called people that advertise in the magazines that I write for. I called, I called you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, uh, you know, you guys should be in this book because uh, we've got a loyal following and... You know, unlike a monthly magazine, it doesn't get thrown in the trash after somebody reads it once. Sure. And uh, much to my amazement, uh, in seven and a half weeks, we raised, I think it was (laughs) $55,000. Fantastic. In sponsorships and advertising. Yeah. Not only paid for the printing before a single book was sold and paid for all of our pre-press work, but had enough money to buy back the rights and remaining copies of the original book from St. Martin's Press. Oh, fantastic. Uh, which I'd already, I mean, they'd already given up on it, and I called them up. I said, you know, I know you've got X number of these sitting somewhere. I want to say it's about 1,800 copies. How much would you sell them to me for? Mm-hmm. And they quoted me a figure that was much less than I could have printed them for, because, I mean, as far as they were concerned, it was firewood. And I said, well, if I buy them all, will you give me what's called a reversion of rights. And they were happy to do that because they didn't think that this book, you know, they thought it had run whatever, you know, gauntlet it was going to run. Sure. And now it's in its ninth printing, you know. Uh, but it's taken 20 years to get to that <laughs> stage, and it's still our bestseller, I mean, every place we go. But anyway, to get back to the story... So the aha moment was realizing that there was a different way to fund um, a, a book, a publishing project. Yeah. And it actually caused some ripples in the publishing world. Uh, we won 
we were actually the silver, not the gold, but uh, we won the overall Benjamin Franklin Book of the Year Award in 2000 for that idea. Nice. Uh, and that's, among independent publishers, that's that's a pretty, that's, that's like being the little toe of God. <laughs> and then subsequently, we've used that idea for each book and each each of our ad color sections is a mixture of real ads uh, from real people and sponsorships from real people with some period stuff from the era of the book, uh, like Mercedes bought a full page in um, Montezuma's Ferrari, and they actually dug an ad out of their archives featuring the same car that's in the story. Nice. Uh, the 300 SLs that ran at the La Carrera in 1952. We, uh, we also throw in some, like, gag ads uh, that hopefully people will pick up on and and I think are important to the whole thing because it makes people look more closely at all the content in that section because you never know when you're going to hit something that we put in there to pull your chain a little bit. <laughs> you were the yeah. uh, you were the uh, original Kickstart. Um, the, you know, yeah, that was I'd never heard of Kickstart, and of course Kickstart, you're essentially borrowing money and giving away equity yeah. in some way you've got to give some return further down here it's it's a if i charge you the same amount as i would as a monthly magazine would charge to put your ad in and i can give you shelf life that's almost infinite mm -hmm. and i can give you a medium that would be picked up and put down many many more times than a magazine yeah. that has things in that ad section that makes people want to thumb through the ads carefully so they don't miss one of the funny things. And on top of that, give you something that is very likely, based on the past books, going to be passed around to friends and picked up and reread from time to time. I mean, compared to an ad in a monthly magazine, there's a no-brainer. I'm not saying don't do the ad in the monthly magazine. I'm saying spend the same money for a one-time insertion that lasts forever. Sure, yeah. And a lot of our uh, advertisers have said, you know, and so we've had a lot of people that have been with us in every subsequent book. We've also got individual sponsors. This started out as a joke. Uh, the very first book, I uh, bound the first 100 copies in this, it's not fake leather, it's real leather, but it's like mulched up cow stuff. Mm -hmm. So there was a hundred numbered first editions. original first editions of The Last Open Road, and I think they were a hundred bucks each or whatever. And with it, you got a shirt with The Last Open Road on it, and on the sleeve, it had your edition number. Nice. And yeah, it was just a, a joke, but it was, you know, there's another hundred issues and a hundred bucks each. It worked out pretty good, and I thought, well, this is cool. So we have a deal that we've had for all the books since Montezuma's. You can be a sponsor for 250 bucks, and you can either buy it for yourself, for a friend, a crew chief, uh, a loved one, in memory of somebody. I don't care. And what you get, you get a special leather-bound edition with this beautiful little cloisonne enameled emblem on it. We call it the coffee table novel because mm -hmm. it doesn't have a dust jacket. It really looks cool. And it's got special, what they call uh, end sheets inside, colored end sheets. Uh, looks really cool. You get your name in the book on the sponsored page or the name of whoever you pick. And you get 
like the current one, the 200-mile-an-hour steamroller, you get this very nice polo shirt that says 200-mile-an-hour steamroller sponsors sucker. <laughs> so um, you have a shirt that you're proud to own and yeah. probably embarrassed to wear. <laughs> cool, and, cool. Uh, and between all these things, I mean, I'm never going to get rich off that, but it turns the normal business model from pu- for publishing upside down. Yeah. Where all of a sudden you're making money from the first book you sell instead of having to sell three, four, five thousand books just to get even before you start making anything and it completely changes the the business proposition end of it. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Okay. It's great. Wonderful. Let's have a little fun here. What was your very first car, Bert? And maybe you can share a special memory with that vehicle. The car my dad got after the second Corvette was stolen was a TR3. And it was really completely the wrong car for him. Uh, I had been pulling on his sleeve to come and take a look at a Jaguar XK150, which I thought was just sex on wheels. The bad part was my dad knew a few people that owned Jaguars, and he'd heard the horror stories and had already decided that he was not a Jaguar customer. Mm -hmm. But to be nice one day, he took me down to the showroom to look at Jags, and sitting in the corner is this bright red Triumph TR3. And to this day, I swear that that car winked at him. (laughs) And we've all been there. I mean, when a car winks at you, that's the end of it. You know, you're, you're reaching for your checkbook or signing a note or whatever. And it was really not the right car for him at all. There was something about that beagle puppy face on the TR3 that just got him. But I'll never forget the day we went to pick it up. It was the middle of winter, January. It had snowed. It wasn't. It, it was just flaking at the time, but it snowed heavily. The streets weren't plowed yet. And so every place you went, there was like two ruts, you know, with the high mound in between. Uh, where the cars are going. So we go over to pick this car up, and we're in my mom's nice, toasty, warm Pontiac, and Dad picks it up, and they've washed it, and it's all clean, sitting outside, and already it's starting to ice up. And so he gets in and starts it up and starts driving it home. And, of course, the TR3 was notorious. Matter of fact, this is why his race cars, they tend to roll over a lot, and I've done that. Uh, they're very narrow. So, And my dad is a pretty big guy bigger than me by quite a bit. He could have either the right side wheels or the left side wheels in the rut, but not both at the same time. So the TR3 is kind of pitching back and forth from rut to rut, and my dad's head is bouncing around inside like one of those bobblehead dolls. (laughs) He's wondering how come everything, and I mean, it was cold. Everything in the car is freezing, except for this one, like, grapefruit-sized spot on his right knee which feels like it's got a blowtorch on it because that's where the heater sits and of course he never had a car with side curtains and so he's wondering how come when it's snowing outside it's also snowing inside (laughs) and he he was out of love with that car before he got (laughs) got it in the driveway for the first time yeah and so he would take my mom's pontiac to work my mom didn't really drive stick and so the TR3 became my car. The, the bad part was I, I was born on December 4th, so I was one of the oldest guys in my class. I'm going to get my license before anybody. Mm-hmm. Except we lived right across the street from the school, 
so I couldn't drive anybody home. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, it drove me crazy. Oh, gosh, it sounds like. <laughs> uh, but enjoyed that car a lot, and then when he finally got rid of that, we actually he wanted to get back to an American car, and I was nuts on Corvairs, so we actually ordered a Corvair Spider with everything that I wanted on it, a red convertible with black with positive traction and the turbo motor and all that stuff. Uh, and I I love Corvairs even today. I think that it's a damn shame that GM refused to fight Ralph Nader over that car and basically gave up on it after it had already become a really, really good sporty car. Yeah, for sure. Is there a car that you've sold that you really wish you could have back? Yeah, probably my first uh, vintage Alfa Romeo Duetto race car. Joe, I actually didn't own that car. Joe Marchetti owned it. Uh, I made a deal with him. I said, look, I know where this car is, and it's a pretty famous car. It was originally built by Horst Quack. It was sitting in a barn uh, without a motor in it or anything, but I had a lot of the parts needed to put it right. I said, I'll tell you what, you put up the money. And it wasn't a tremendous amount of money. I'll put up the effort and build the car. I'll race it. We'll do real well with it. And when we sell it, you take your investment off the top and we'll split the rest. And much to my amazement, Joe said, sure. So we got the car. It's really the only decent mechanical device I ever built with my own two hands. I had a lot of help, but, you know, it was my project. And I want to say we won 13 out of 15 races with it. Wow. And it was, uh, we never got beat by a 911 until the third year. <laughs> and this was with an Alpha. But of course, again, that's early days of vintage racing. Yeah. Uh, I had a chance to drive that exact same car again many years later. Uh, another guy owned it. I couldn't believe how slow it was. <laughs> and then I looked at the lap times. I was turning the exact same lap times I had back in the day. It's just that as all across vintage racing, the water had gotten a lot deeper in the pool yep. since then. And all of a sudden, what had been race-winning performance was mid-pack performance. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. But I love that car. I'd love to have it back. Sounds like it. Is there a current project you're working on right now that really has you excited? Oh, I'm working on a new book. Oh, great. Um, I'm working on a, called. it's the second of the Steamroller books. Uh, I'm working on a feature story about cheetahs, which I'm excited about because I said earlier it's a, it's really a wonderful story with so many twists and turns to it and great personalities and bad guys. And, you know, it, it's I'm enjoying that. Awesome. And I've got an old 104 Healy in the garage that, is sorely in need of attention. Uh, I had intended, you know, old Heelys are pretty basic, like a TR3. I always loved the 104. It was my favorite one. Mm, mine too. Uh, and the plan was that my son and I were going to restore it together. Well, you know, books got in the way. His life got in the way. He now lives out in California and writes for TV. I'm here. And I keep saying I'm going to get around to it. I I hate the idea of giving it to someone else to restore just because I love the idea of completing the project, but I don't know if I'll ever get around to it. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's tough. Life does get in the way sometimes, but it uh, sounds like... Yeah. If you were a car, Bert, this is going to be an interesting answer, I think. What kind of car would you be, and more importantly, why? I think probably... And I'm going to go purist on you here, which is unlike me. <laughs> 
but probably the very first Ferrari ever drove for Joe Marchetti and that I wrote my very first ride and story about for Auto Week was a Ferrari 250 short wheelbase Berlinetta. Ooh, my favorite. And the thing that I love about that car, and I, I, I have... I teach for the Ferrari group sometimes. I did at their uh, uh, their national convention was at Road America last year, and I taught for them. And to me, the real Ferraris will always be the old V12s. The, the modern cars, I mean, they're magnificent cars. The 458 Italia is amazing. Uh, but I think all of the modern supercars, I don't care if it's a BMW, Corvette, Ferrari, Lamborghini, Audi, whatever, they're too heavy. They're too fast. They're too damn complicated. And I hate all the electronics. Not because they don't work well, but because they take my ability or hope for ability to use what the car has away from me. And the short wheelbase Berlinetta, to my way of thinking, was the last true dual-purpose car from anybody where you could buy... If you bought an alloy short wheelbase Berlinetta, you could use it on the street. You could even get stuck a little bit in traffic with it. You could take it to a racetrack in those days, put numbers on the side, run it, and have a very good chance of walking away with a first place trophy. That has ceased to exist anymore. And I like what it says not only about the car, but about the way racing was at that era. By 1961, 62, somewhere in there, that didn't exist anymore. You wouldn't take a GTO and drive it every day on the street. You probably could, but it just wasn't done. Sure, we have base Berlinetta's, you know, last true dual-purpose car. I love them. Yeah, they're one of my favorites, too. They're just, uh, they tug on every string. So, uh, yeah, w- really. wonderful answer. So, Bert, being a racer, you know what this means. We're up to the last lap. Things are speeding up a little bit here, and this is where I fire off a series of questions. I want you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. I know that's going to be tough for you. (laughs) No, I can do it. Okay. Are you ready to go? Sure. All right. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? Actually, it's something I like so much that I have one of my characters, uh, Butch Bohunk, in the book, uh, say it, Butch is a mechanic, an ace mechanic that my mechanic learns from. Mm-hmm. And he says, make sure your sparks are in order before you start screwing around with carburation. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Most unique answer ever. Could you share one of your personal habits with our listeners that you believe has contributed to your success? I think you've got to be relentless. Uh, you know, you've got to be stubborn. You've got to refuse to give up. You know, that old cliche about, you know, success is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. When doors close, as particularly they did both in my racing career and in my writing career, uh, you just got to walk to the next door. Uh, I think success is based on not only hard work, but a refusal to give up, you know. All right, that's it. That's exactly right. Is there a resource that you could share with our listeners that you really enjoy? Maybe it's a website that you visit often or a forum? You know, um, I've got so many friends that run companies that take care of vintage cars. I mean, Sasco, GMT, 901 Shop, uh, 356 Enterprises, Lee Chapman Racing, Prather Racing. I mean, they're Predator Heritage. 
there's so many out there, and they're all good. Websites, I go to MMR sometimes, uh, Leno's Garage. Uh, Jay's been kind enough to let me in there several times, and I know some of the guys that work on his cars uh, and help restore them, help me with his projects. I enjoy that. Vintage Racing League, I enjoy. I try to keep track of racing worldwide. I'm a Formula One junkie. Uh, and anybody that saw the last F1 race at, at Hungary, um, three heroic drives. Oh, gosh, yes. On the, uh, for the top of the podium. I mean, I, you know, anybody that's complaining about what they're seeing now doesn't know what they're looking at. This is a, even though the Mercedes has an edge car-wise, uh, in terms of talent and strategy and everything else, this is a banner year. Uh, really enjoying it. So I try to keep up on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, a- I actually prefer, if I can, going to events rather than keeping up online. I like everything from, you know, hot rod shows and cars and coffee to Monterey Historics to an F1 race. I mean, I, I love it all. I, and it, as you get older, if you if you have this passion, anytime I'm doing something. There's a little nagging part of me that's reminding me of all the other crap that I'm missing. Right. You know, and that drives you crazy. Oh, yeah, sure. You know, I have had the pleasure of spending a weekend with Peter Brock and Gail Brock at their home. And we got up, uh, actually it was Friday night, and we were sitting out on his deck. And I said, well, what do you like to do on the weekends for fun? I mean, Peter Brock, for goodness sake, what a history. And he said, I love going to Cars and Coffee. So we jumped in his Daytona, got up the next morning and went to Cars and Coffee. And I always kept pinching myself thinking, I'm going to Cars and Coffee in a Daytona Coupe with Peter Brock. <laughs> this, That's very cool. This is really cool. Now, Bert, you're a publisher of books, a writer of books, so this might be a tough question, but maybe not. Is there a book that you could share with our listeners that you've really enjoyed? Oh, wait, not one that I've Not written. one that oh, you've you, written, you yes. You have that in the question. Yeah. I was going to suggest everybody go right to my website well, I'm, and buy all my books. Well, I'm already going to no, tell everybody one... to do that, of course. <laughs> okay. If it's one that I didn't write, oh God! There's, I'm looking over at a wall in my study that is just solid books. Oh, of course. From one well, maybe maybe one recent. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> um, actually, for a good read, I actually think I like John Morton's new book, Inside Shelby American. It's not, you know, it's not the Gone with the Wind of of car books. But I really enjoyed it because it's got a, it comes across as very honest. It's a real insight into those early days at Shelby American. And it was like listening to John sit next to you, you know, with a coffee or a beer and tell you the story. Uh, I enjoyed that a lot. Um, I enjoyed uh, John Fitch's um, autobiography. I mean, I, I like all of my good friend Mike Argetsinger's books, which are more historical, uh, except that Mike, uh, if someone's a jerk, Mike will never call him a jerk because he's too much of a gentleman. And I keep telling him that. <laughs> I, I just, you know, I love them all. Yeah, yeah. It's a, I can't pick one. It's a tough one. I know it's a tough one. Do you have an interesting hobby outside of your passion for cars, Bert, that you really enjoy? Oh, let me think. <laughs> That's in- uh, I used to love fishing, uh, but my wife has got me uh, humanized to the point where I sympathize too much f- with the fish nowadays. <laughs> so some of the joy has gone out of yeah, it for me. Yeah. 
I actually, my wife and I love old movies. You know, I mean, we love all kinds of movies, but we're particularly fond of uh, some of the old black and whites from the 30s, 40s, and early 50s. Oh, yeah. Uh, we love the Thin Man series and stuff like that. I'm, I'm kind of a music junkie, but I'm all over the lot with that. I don't play. I played trumpet for a little while, and I was absolutely awful. <laughs> uh but we go to a bike class, and, and I actually do the, the mixes uh, for bike class, and it could be old white rock and roll. It could be, and these would be all mixed on one take. Right. Motown, classical. Uh, I mean, I might mix in a fast one that's like the William Tell Overture <laughs> or a, a dueling banjos. Yeah. Yesterday, the one we had at bike class, I had a Spike Jones tune on it. A little bit of everything, but I love that stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, music is, is just, it's one of those things, you know, that I wished I had a talent for. Although, obviously, you know, you, you're lucky to have what you have. Sure. Now, you say bike class, you mean spinning? It's like spinning. Yeah. Uh, except spinning, we do a spinning classes when we're in California with my son. I'm an avid bicyclist. I, I probably do about 1,500 miles a summer. Wow. Uh, I bike to work unless it's raining or snowing out. Mm -hmm. I should say bike to my office, not to work. <laughs> the classes we do, spinning, you're kind of up and down off the seat, and you're running at a high rate of revolutions. This is more some high rate of revolutions, sometimes more load, so you're going slower but expending more effort. And then you lift weights while you're doing it and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, great workout. And yeah, we enjoy it. There's a great bunch uh, at this club. We've all gotten to know each other socially, and it's a lot of fun. We've got a great teacher. Whenever I'm not off racing, it's our Saturday. We go in early and do that class. Then we'll go out to brunch at our favorite place and go run errands and just have a really nice, quiet day together. And it's, you know, it happens. It, it's rare enough occurrence that it's still really, really, you know, special when we get to do it. Yeah, my daughter teaches spinning on the side, and uh, my wife and I were Isn't down. Isn't it hard to do that on your side? Uh, you wise guy. <laughs> <laughs> she uh, took us to her class. We were visiting her in Arizona, and she kicked our tails. Oh, my goodness. It was yeah. uh, amazing. So it, It's hard. Yeah, it's hard. Well, I'll remind our listeners that you can find all the resources that Bert has shared with us at com slash Bert. Levy. Just type his name into the search bar there, and all his resources will pop up and links to all those things. So, Bert, we're up to the checkered flag. The race is almost over. Great. I've really enjoyed it's it. It's been so much fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Are you going to be at Monterey? <laughs> I am. I'm going to be at Monterey for sure. It'll be my 23rd year, so I can't wait. I'll I'll look for you, and we'll uh, we'll have some fun I'll down there. I'll be at the Vintage Motorsport booth, uh, hopefully signing a lot of books yeah. and moseying around the paddock. Uh, Looking for rides. To find something to drive. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Bert, this last question can be a real doozy. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, and this is something you can't sell to buy a bunch of other cars with, right? and money was no object, what would it be and why? Oh, God, it might be that short wheelbase Berlinetta, except I don't think that I see it in my character to be a Ferrari owner. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that that's, I don't fit with that bunch. Um, probably, since I'm still racing, probably a Chevron B36 sports racer. Mm. Uh, I've raced those a couple of times, and I just love them, and we've done well. I got in one that uh, Rick Carlino's car at Road Atlanta 
Uh, did real well with it. We wound up first in class, second overall. I got in my friend Al Lewis's B30. Well, his was actually a 31 slash 36. I rode America many years ago, and I hadn't been in the car until I got in at the pit stop, and we won the Enduro uh, ahead of a pretty good field. Nice. I just love that car. It's just it really speaks to me. And uh, for a street car, I'm, I'm going to throw one at you that's not expected. Okay. Either an Arnold Bristol Ooh. or a TVR. Oh. My wife and I courted in a TVR, and so and a car I didn't own, a car that I'd talked some uh, the distributor out of, um, and I've always had kind of a soft spot spot for them. Yeah. And the Arnold Bristol, when I was a kid, and I saw the pictures of the Arnold Bristol, which of course uh, Wacky Arnold had literally saved Bertone from bankruptcy, but bought his became a director of the company, put money in, and he would buy Bristol chassis, which was a really good chassis, an engine in England, and have them shipped to Italy and put this body on. Now, if you look at it today, it looks kind of tall, and the tires look skinny, but back in those days, it looked like some kind of an, you know, an auto show special that they made as a styling exercise, because it wasn't a lot of chrome trim and stuff. And when I was a little kid, I told you I had the car disease, I would take the L downtown, and S.H. Arnold had a warehouse on Erie Street. And I would go in there, just a little junior high school kid with a brownie camera in his hand, and they would let me wander around in the warehouse and back. And I would pick up, the all the cars were covered by M.G. Mittens, and I'd pick up one of the covers and look underneath, and they, everyone was wondrous, you know. Oh, of course. And the, the Arnold Bristols at that time, I thought, were the coolest thing I had ever seen in my life. But I've never owned one or had to live with one. Yeah. So I'm sure that would take some of the bloom off the road. Yeah, it might do that. I always thought they were cool. Yeah, well, you'd be proud of me. Back when I was vintage racing, uh, I was able to mooch a ride for a couple of years and drive a Lola T290 sports racer. And oh. having, yeah, very nice. And having jumped from a Lotus 18 Formula Junior into that car, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. It's like going from a bicycle to a spaceship. Well, the 18. You know, the 18, I've had a couple of really good races in 18. Oh, yeah, they're so much and fun. And I think that the tactile feel of the steering in an 18 is better than any other car I've ever driven, Part of, partly because it's on those. Now, this is in a junior 18. Yeah, that's what I Partly was, because it's on, on these tall, skinny tires that really slide around, and you can slide the car without scrubbing off speed, and the... Steering is just so light and masterful. It's just wonderful. That said, though, if you get in an accident in one of those, you're in big trouble because they just didn't understand a lot of the things that we understand today about protecting the driver. Yeah, um, that's why I sold it. I was just getting, I had a friend who was hurt seriously in a Formula Junior, and I just had little kids, and I just went, you know what, this is a little too dangerous. And the car went back to England. Uh, coincidentally, uh, Dr. Mark Green bought the car, which was hilarious. Cool. Yeah, but uh, going into the Lola T290 was just, uh, it was heavenly. So great choices you have there, my friend. That was fantastic. Bert, you have taken us on a joyous ride today, and I've just, oh, you have, I've just so enjoyed the stories. I knew this was going to be so much fun. That's why I kept chasing you to, to commit to this. I want to thank you for sharing your journey well, with us. Well, thank you for having me, is been a lot of fun. It's been great. And if you could give our listeners one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that 
car of choice. And then, of course, let the listeners know what's the best way for them to learn more about you to be able to get their hands on your books. And then we'll say goodbye. All right, let's take the second one first. <laughs> okay. Uh, you can go to our website, www.lastopenroad.com. If you want the cheapest deal, go to Amazon. Uh, if you want to know more about me and the books, just Google The Last Open Road and see where it takes you. I think there's uh, many hundreds of thousands of entries, not because people like my books, but because it's also the name of a, <laughs> a pretty popular rock and roll song, uh, or I should say blues song. Mm -hmm. As for advice, I'm going to go back to those two things my father you know, would say to me, one is, whatever you want to do in this life, you better do it, because you're a long time dead. And the other one was, there's only one thing you ever need to know, and that's what you have to do next. Wonderful. And that's it. Yeah, it's wonderful. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything Bert has been so gracious to share with us today at carsyeah.com slash Bert Levy. Bert, I want to thank you for again for being so generous thank with your you. time. What a fun experience this has been. I'm looking forward to oh, I really enjoyed seeing it. you down in Monterey. And uh, again, thanks for taking the time out on a Sunday here to do this. I really appreciate it. I, you know, outside of being at a racetrack, this is my second favorite thing, what to do. You're making me blush. Well, until we talk again, Bert, we'll see you down the road. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.